0: it's probably harder to adapt to the differences when you're in your own place uh, and someone else just takes over. That's probably what it feels like. I just took over for Rich or whoever else generally leads things, Um, but the way we usually do things about this time, start with announcements and then some prayer requests and then uh, Paul will be teaching us, so he'll explain a bit more to orient those of you who haven't been with us, kind of what we're doing, the series we're in, but my task is simply to get through this quickly and not take up his time. So first for announcements, just a reminder, Koinonia, that there's a baby shower for Carrie Clark coming up on Monday, November 13th, so that's one week from tomorrow, one week from tomorrow at 6.30 to 8.30 that Monday evening, just a reminder, it's a kind of a drop-in shower, so you can come at any point during that time. Um, you are asked to RSVP, are there any clipboards going around Where are they? Matt's on it. Thank you, Matt. Matt's going to find the clipboards and make sure they circulate. Did you hear that, Matt? Make sure they circulate. <laughs> it's not going to die the death of clipboards by getting lost somewhere in the, in the crowd. All right, Carrie's registered at babylist.com, which is important info. After all, the point of the baby shower is to bring gifts, so you need to know that. Um, and then if you're interested in helping to bring anything ladies who plan to go uh, that would be very welcome and so actually our class isn't organizing this one primarily, Uh, Kate Brown is going to be organizing it, Carrie's sister Um, but if there's anything we can do to help out that'd be great so uh, Emmy has gotten a list from Kate of things that you could bring if you want to bring anything so if you're planning to go um, and are interested in bringing something, just ask Emmy and she can let you know what things are needed and you can pick something from that. And the second announcement is just related to the Christmas event. Continue to remind you to save that date, December 9th, for our class Christmas party. All right, now for prayer requests. So when there's only 60 of us, it's much easier to make that more personal and go around and have people share updates and things like that. Seems a little bit more difficult here. So uh, I'm going to just run through reminding us a few of these, and then I'll pray for us. Um, One thing I didn't mark here, but just got an update from the Chevaliers that uh, continue praying for their house to sell and that whole issue and getting a closing date. Sounds like maybe there were some potential snags this week, but keep praying. That would go through. That would be a huge blessing. But also... As we even learned in that Thanksgiving series, we can thank the Lord for those snags knowing that he's sovereign over those things and has good intentions in mind um, and pray that the Lord would help them as they are. They even shared with me uh, that they're, they're trusting him in that and thanking him for those things, knowing he, he has their best in mind. Um, but those things are things you have to continually remind yourself of. And so we can join them by praying the Lord would help them with that. Just a few other things here. Um, keep praying for Aaron's brother. He had asked us to pray for him, so keep praying that uh, he would be plugged into a good church. Um, And then Jed. Jed, are you here? Okay. And then Jed's uncle, Neil. You guys remember that he's got multiple myeloma going on, um, but there are also some serious spiritual needs there, so Jed asked that the Lord might, asked us to pray the Lord might use this this physical difficulty to bring his uncle to him. And then, of course, we can pray for ourselves as we keep going through the series. I've been convicted a lot because all of these sins Paul's taking us through are, um, it's kind of the nature of the series, right? Respectable sins, they're the things that you'll never be totally free from, and there's always more room for growth, and yet if we want to be, holy we want to be sanctified we've got to be serious about getting after even those things and not content to look at our neighbors around us and say i'm I'm doing well enough right and so just continue to ask the lord would create in us a sensitive heart to these things um continue to undermine self-righteousness which is just one form of the pride i assume we'll be talking about today um and actually be eager to take those things seriously and work on them all right let's take these things to the lord in prayer lord i do thank you first of all just for christ and for the privilege that we have of being in him and all of the blessings that are ours totally undeserved because of that we gather today on the first day of the week because that's the day christ arose in which he inaugurated the the end times the new creation even already started even overlapping with this uh, falling apart world where sin reigns. And that resurrection inaugurated in his, or that new creation inaugurated in his resurrection isn't something that, Lord, you, you cause to bring about only in him, but that you tell us in Romans 6 that for all of us who are in Christ, we too participate in that new creation, at least at the level of our inner man. So what a glorious reality to gather here this morning on the day Christ arose, enjoying the benefits, the blessings of partaking in that new creational realm. Even as we look forward to the consummation of that, we look around us and can see that work happening even now. And Lord, that's a progressive work. You're continuing it even as we're sanctified by your spirit through your word. And so I pray that you would do that work Uh, significantly, tremendously today in our midst. Certainly we've already heard the word from Pastor Farrell in Romans 7, and now as we get another opportunity to hear it uh, from Paul here in, in in a topical way, we pray, Lord, that you would make our hearts sensitive, you would help us to be attentive and focused. And Lord, we know that the preaching of the word is one of the ways, a very important way, by which you sanctify your people, And yet there are so many others, even as we've just been fellowshipping, Lord, you use, as Paul says in Ephesians, for as the body speaks the truth one to another, you mature the body. And so I pray you'd be doing that. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of being able to spend some time with another class here, and I just pray that there would be encouragement as new connections are made between people from two different classes We also do pray for those who are away at the Devoted Conference and probably beginning to return now. We pray for safe travel for them, and even as they've heard the word from two very capable teachers who I know have led them to the word, I pray, Lord, that they would not be like that man James speaks about, uh, who, having looked in the mirror, quickly forgets what he looks like, that having heard the word, they would not quickly forget the truth they've heard, but that it would resonate, that it would ring, that it would echo in their mind Uh, as they continue to think about it and and meditate upon it this week, and that you would do your work of just creating a more more, uh, somber, serious, wholehearted uh, commitment, devotion to the mission that Christ has left. Not simply putting off the sins that so frequently plague us, the sins that we know Christians should not be engaging in, but as we do that, Proactively putting on a wartime mindset in pursuing the mission with utmost zeal. May we be people, may they be people as well from the teaching they've heard who are just compelled from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to sleep not simply by a dressed up American dream but by a, a, a selling out, a getting rid of every other idolatry, every other purpose for living that the world fabricates uh, however much it may seem like it can be cleaned up, and rather replace all of those with the one thing that really matters, which is Christ's glory accomplished through the mission he's left us, which is largely centered around missions and evangelism and the ongoing transformation of believers as they're uh, growing and maturing in your local churches is happening right here, Lord. So we pray that you'd be doing that um, in our midst. Think about the variety of connections, the various connections to members here. Um, people who are unbelievers or are maybe just very immature, uh, but for whom this class is a burden and wanting to see them come to know you or to repent, and we pray, Lord, that you would be working in those situations, some of which I've mentioned, some of which I haven't. I pray, Lord, that you would work in their lives and as uh, even the members of this class who have those connections to them are given opportunities in your providence to speak truth to them, I pray, Lord, that you would grant them the words to speak that your word would be heard by them and that you would work through that to give them new life. Lord, now we we just pray for Paul as he brings the word that there would be clarity there and we pray for our our own selves that we would be humble, eager to hear this word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
1: Thank you, Tim. And, uh, I'm all mic'd up here, so hopefully you guys can can hear me. It's a little bit of a different dynamic, as uh, Tim said, um, a little bit bigger group, and so um, just want to uh, kind of orient you to where we've been. You guys are kind of parachuting into the middle of our study of uh, Jerry Bridge's book called Respectable Sins, and uh, you're getting the double double barrel shotgun blast this morning of pride and selfishness, so it's a... It's, uh, uh, a heavy load, and uh, I'm sure none of you struggle with that, but it was um, convicting uh, this week as it, as it has been every week, as just the, the scalpel of God's word um, uh, points these things out and, um, and cuts, and uh, that's a grace, The grace that uh, God would show us that through his word, that we have the opportunity to repent and uh, go back and apply the gospel uh, where we see these, these sins cropping up in our life. But just to orient you with um, where we've been, uh, just kind of the foundation that this book lays for identifying respectable sins, what respectable sins are, what are we talking about when we say that, and then uh, what is the remedy? How how do we go about putting these things to death where we see them in our lives? Um, First of all, we uh, talked about Facing up to the truth about respectable sins, um, this uh, has to do with our identity. Um, The Bible calls us saints. If we have repented and um, uh, cast ourselves on Christ uh, by faith, then we are saints. So we do not sink into despair when we see these sins, but we um, go back to the cross and um, apply the gospel once again. And uh, even though we're saints, that doesn't mean we are uh, sanctified perfectly in this life. The sanctification process continues. Uh, we do have the, the righteousness of Christ. Um, we are holy in that respect, but we are still encased in our flesh and we have that sin hangover. And so we are going to continue to sin until we see Christ. And hopefully, As we mature, we are growing in our ability to kill sin, to recognize it, and to have those tools uh, that we have sharpened to be able to um, repent and uh, put these things to death. We talked about the disappearance of sin in our culture. Um, We must not adopt that mindset. Um, uh, Sin is is still a reality, even though it's not talked much about in, in our culture or even in in many of our churches, um, it is still a reality. And so um, we face it head on. And um, we also talked about the malignancy of sin. Not only is sin a reality, but it is uh, extremely damaging. Um, It's like a cancer. Sin is a heinous despising of God and his holy standard. And that goes for all sins, even ones that we would call respectable sins. Well, when we use this term or when Jerry bridges uses the term respectable sins um, we know that no sin is is respectable but these are sins that are subtle and that uh, I tend to minimize and tolerate in my own life so they're very common uh, even in the church and if we're not careful they just become normative and um, we tend to ignore them as like pastor was saying in the sermon uh this morning we can always find somebody who's who's worse than us or we make an excuse that hey everybody's doing this it's you know this gossip is just is common everybody gossips everybody is prideful it's just just part of who we are and that's that's the wrong attitude because of the malignancy of sin we have to go after it um the serious of seriousness of that sin is seen in that it cost christ his life Jesus suffered and died on the cross for our sins, and that uh, should be sobering to us, show us the the malignancy and the damage that sin does. And then in uh, the second session, we got down to the remedy for sin. Um, We saw that the biblical remedy for sin, whether it's scandalous sin or respectable sin, is the gospel. The work of Christ in the past through his righteous life atoning death and victorious resurrection and his current work in us now by the Holy Spirit saves us from the penalty of sin and it also saves us from the power of sin. So we don't have an excuse, uh, we just can't help it. We we can, we've been given the power um, through Christ's spirit to put this to death. And we talked about the need to meditate on the gospel. We do that daily uh, for it helps to plow the ground of our hearts so that we can more accurately see our sin. And it frees us to face sin by giving us the assurance that we are forgiven. It also motivates and energizes us to deal with our sin. In other words, it fuels our faith. We did that this morning. It's uh, so encouraging um, to, to sing with you all, sing about the gospel. And that's one way we rehearse the gospel and we preach it to each other is through our singing. And so you guys blessed me this morning by your song. This is, there is one gospel on which I stand for all eternity. It is my story, my father's plan. The son has rescued me. Oh, what a gospel. Oh, what a peace. My highest joy and my deepest need. Now and forever, he is my light. I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's so encouraging to um, sing those gospel-saturated songs uh, to each other. Again, just another way that we rehearse the gospel. I encourage you, make that part of your your daily routine, singing those lyrics or or reading those lyrics or singing them with your your family or your your roommates. Um, It's a way we continue to energize um, fueling our faith. We said also we must live under the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit. We must rely on his power to overcome sin. And this is the walk of faith. Galatians 5.16 says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And then we covered directions for dealing with sin. So, what do I do? I've identified where I'm sinning, where I'm... um, Sinning in these subtle ways, maybe it's not evident to those around me, but my heart is, is full of all kinds of subtle sins, whether that be anxiety or lust or any number of things. Maybe it's not even noticeable to others, but I've identified it. The Word of God has, has put its finger on that area. What do I do? Well, we've already said we apply the gospel. Remember that our sins are forgiven in Christ, past, present, and future. We have his perfect record of righteousness before God. Our justification, our justification is in him. So we take our sin back to the cross once again. Number two, we're depending on the Holy Spirit. It's only by his power that we're putting to death the sin in our lives. Don't fall back into the default setting of the flesh, which is self-atonement or our own fleshly willpower. You know, you're going to white-knuckle this and you're just going to do better. Um, there's no power there to defeat sin. There's no power in and of ourselves. Listen to Romans eight thirteen. If you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So that is where the, the power is found, through Christ's Holy Spirit. Thirdly, owning our responsibility for sin. So uh, Jerry Bridges coins this term, um, I think it's his, uh, dependent responsibility. So yes, we're, we're dependent on the Holy Spirit in our fight against sin. Uh, we're also responsible. We're responsible for the things that the Bible says we are to do. Um, there's much for us to do, and we um, avail ourselves of all the means that Christ has given us to, to fight sin, to do battle. Um, We're pursuing every practical means. That means uh, fellowship with the body, um, discipleship, um, reading God's word, um, all all practical means um, to to bring ourselves into conformity with with what God commands. And then we're identifying specific respectable sins. So we'll do that this morning with pride and selfishness, um, two things that are are entrenched um in the flesh and and must be be dealt with um once we've identified them um next um memorizing and applying appropriate scriptures so where are you going to go to in god's word to be encouraged for the fight um you have to have those down and you have to know where to go in the moment of temptation um if you're not prepared it's too late um Satan's arrow has is, is already been released. It's, it's flying towards you. It's too late to grab your armor. So what scriptures are you um, going to appropriate to do battle? We want to store up God's word in our heart so it can be recalled. When temptation is near, Psalm one nineteen, eleven. we obey these commands. We have memorized by faith, and you've got to go against your feelings in the moment. Your feelings are not a reliable um, indicator of what you should do. Uh, God's truth tells us what we must do. And so that's where we go. We go to God's word. And then we also said we need to cultivate the practice of dependent prayer. Um, it's calling in spiritual air support, as, as um, John Piper says. Um, that's planned prayer uh, daily. If you know where the battle is, then you got to get up ready ready to fight, and that means um, going to God in prayer, asking for him to empower you through his spirit to, to do battle. And then it's spontaneous prayer when these uh, temptations flare up, you know, temptations to lust, temptations to anxiety, temptations to pride. Uh, in that moment, um, you've been in the word, you've recognized where the battle is, and when that Temptation crops up, you can see it coming, and, and that's the time to call out to God for, for prayer in the moment. Lastly, we said we also want to involve the church. Um, if you are a believer who is entangled in a pattern of habitual sin, then seek out a mature brother or sister to um, to help you. Um, that is what the church does, um, Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Um, Tells us if anyone's caught in a trespass, seek those who are mature to give to give you help, and so don't um, don't hide and cover, don't conceal it, but but bring it out into the open and um, get help. So that's uh, the ministry of the church in the life, of the lives of, of all believers. So that brings us to um, our our study of specific um, accept or respectable sins the subtle sins that we all, we all battle. Um, we've been through several already, but this week we're going to be looking at uh, two in particular, and the first one is pride. Chapter 11 in our study uh, is on pride, and pride is an inflated sense of one's importance. It's a characteristic that we find repugnant in other people, but we're often blind to it in our own lives. And its seriousness can be seen in that James and Peter both warn us that God is opposed to the proud. That's in James 4.6 and 1 Peter 5.5. And to help us identify where we are prideful, we're going to consider certain expressions of this sin. So where do we see pride crop up? Well, one um, manifestation of sinful pride is the pride of moral self-righteousness. Turn to Luke 18. We're going to look at uh, Jesus' parable. Jesus' parable in Luke 18, starting in verse 9. It's a parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Luke 18, starting in verse 9. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. This man felt that he had something to boast about when it, uh, came, when he came before the Lord, boasting of his own righteousness. This is obviously repugnant when we see it, but um, I, I would say I'm often blind to this attitude in my own heart. How 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 would I would I see this? How would I recognize it? Well, this attitude of feeling morally superior to others is is not limited to religion. I mean, you see it in Politics and culture, um, the debaters of our time, they claim the moral high ground, uh, this self-righteous attitude, whether you're watching uh, CNN or Fox News or uh, it's a Democrat or a Republican or people debating wars, you know, countries on opposing sides, who, who has the moral high ground, whether it's on Wall Street or Main Street, people take a self-righteous stance, and the people of on the opposite side, point to the hypocrisy of the other side, and they do this with glee, and you see this all the time, like the, the, the billionaire who throws his, his power and influence behind an inve- environmental cause that seeks to get rid of fossil fuels, but his opponents point out that he flies on a private jet to all his speaking engagements, and so they feel better about themselves having reclaimed the moral high ground. And so you see this, this push and pull, in our society all the time. And we expect this from the world, right? I mean, they're, they're entrenched, they're, they're dead in their sin, and so um, that's expected. But moral self-righteousness is, is a, also a common manifestation of pride in the church, and this ought not to be so. This parable is, is a warning from Jesus to those who trusted in their own righteousness, those who don't trust God as their only hope of salvation. And the pride of the, the Pharisee is, is shocking to us. Uh, before God, uh, this man believed he had something to boast about. After all, he wasn't, he wasn't as bad as the tax collector on his knees begging for mercy, or so he thought. But Jesus flips the script. Only one man was going away justified, the one who saw his position before God accurately and was aware of his desperate need for mercy But as I said, this attitude uh, that the the Pharisee has is 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 a common, respectable sin, even among believers. Bridges says this: I venture that of all the subtle sins we will address in this book, the pride of moral superiority may be the most common, second only to the sin of ungodliness. But though it is so prevalent among us, it is difficult to recognize because we all practice it to some degree. In fact, we seem to get a perverse enjoyment out of discussing how awful society around us is becoming. When we engage in this kind of thinking or conversation, we are guilty of the pride of moral superiority. So, how do we put this sin to death, then? Well, we must adopt the attitude of humility that is exemplified by the tax collector in Jesus' parable. We say with David, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Psalm 51, five. It was only the mercy and grace of God that rec- rescued us from a life of sin. Um, we should be marked by humility and gratitude that we have been rescued from a lifestyle of habitual sin. Um, I think all we need to do is go back and, and think, think of our life before Christ. What were we marked by? Um, That should bring us to to our knees in humility and and thankfulness for God's mercy and gratitude. Moving on, uh, second manifestation of pride that we see in in our lives, in the lives of believers, is the pride of correct doctrine. Um, This is an assumption that my doctrinal beliefs are correct and anyone holding to another belief is theologically inferior. This is not referring to the primary doctrines that, that you must believe to be a Christian, but secondary doctrines that sincere believers may hold that differ from ours. It's Arminianism versus Calvinism, dispensational versus covenantal theology, premillennialism, amillennialism, postmillennialism, these Matters are not unimportant, but if you are always itching for a doctrinal debate and come away with disdain or contempt for your opponent, check your heart for doctrinal pride. Or maybe you don't consider secondary matters of doctrine to be important at all. You're out there sharing the gospel while others are arguing about these doctrines, and you're looking down on fellow believers who take these things seriously. This, too, is doctrinal pride. How should we uh, put this to death once we've identified that we are guilty of doctrinal pride? Well, let's look at how Paul instructed the Corinthians on this topic. Uh, Turn to 1 Corinthians 8. We'll look at this real quick. 1 Corinthians 8. There's a doctrinal debate going on in the, the church at Corinth, and Paul says, in, starting in verse 1, Now, concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know, but if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but one, for even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all these things and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. However, not all men have this knowledge, but some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat or the better if we do eat. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple will not his conscience if he is weak be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols for the, though your knowledge for through your knowledge he who is weak is ruined the brother for whose sake Christ died and so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak you sin against Christ therefore if food causes my brother to stumble i will never eat meat again so that i will not cause my brother to stumble Here we see the Apostle Paul agree with those who have correct doctrine. It's not sinful to eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols. Idols are nothing. There is one God. And so you can partake of that meat as uh, part of your Christian liberty. He's agreeing with those who have correct doctrine. But he's not agreeing that they can use their liberty to um, harm the conscience of another who is weak verse one says knowledge puffs up but love builds up it's another translation is your doctrinal uh purity your doctrinal convictions making you arrogant Um, are you willing to not make that an issue uh for the sake of loving a brother um Hold your convictions strongly. If you're convinced of that biblically, don't lay it aside. But um, these people were were using their correct doctrine on uh, Christian liberty to, to do harm to those who had weaker consciences. So love is the, the prevailing um, priority. Um, I think this Discussion on liberty is probably something that um, a lot of young people struggle with as well. Um, Are you using your Christian liberty in a way that does violence to to the conscience of of a brother or sister in Christ? Are you willing to lay aside your liberty uh, for the love of another believer? Um, Hold your convictions in humility with love for your fellow believers. I think that's the the message of first corinthians 8 1 Um, so again uh, the area of doctrinal pride um, is is a very real uh, a real sin and uh, it is uh, on display um, in the church quite frequently so check your heart do you uh, struggle with this sin if you do uh, repent another manifestation of pride is the pride of achievement the pride of achievement. The pride of achievement is taking personal credit for success in life, successes in life that are under the sovereign control of God. I'm just going to run through some texts really quickly. First Samuel 2.7 says, The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low. He also exalts. Deuteronomy eight seventeen and 18 says, Otherwise, you may say in your heart, My power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. It's a warning to Israel from Moses, um, remembering where they came from, what the Lord had done for them, how he has provided for them uh, from his very hand. 1 Corinthians 4.7 says, For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? We have nothing that didn't come to us from the hand of God. Our abilities, our skills, physical strength, good health, all these things that enable us to be successful in our work, or ministry, or hobbies, they all came to us from God. There's no such thing as the self-made man. And this goes against the American dream that the world encourages us to believe in and pursue. I mean, historically, America has been a a very prosperous nation since our founding. People who have exercised the biblical virtues of diligence in work and stewarding their resources wisely have experienced success in academics, in business, careers, athletics, and the arts. Why? Because God has chosen in his sovereign will to make America prosperous and to make Americans prosperous. I think it goes back to what Tim has been teaching us in Koinonia is we, we say uh, we know the cause. The cause is, is me. I did it or it just happened. But um, the cause behind all of this is a sovereign God. Um, there are even those who who point to our founding documents. They say the, the system of laws is why we have um, the prosperity we, we have enjoyed historically. And while I'm thankful for those documents, I'm thankful for the men that put them together, I think there again we can be attributing to, to man what, what God has done. God has made America a, a prosperous country where if you work hard and are diligent, um, success can be attained. But it is sinful to congratulate yourself on those successes. We have to go back to the source of all blessings. It's from the Father of Lights that all good things come from. So, there's no reason for, for chest thumping. How would I be able to diagnose this in, in my own life? How how do I know if I'm pridefully sinful in this area of of personal achievement? Well, do you have an inordinate desire for recognition? Do you only take opportunities that will put you in the limelight? Are you willing to to serve in the shadows? Those are good heart checks. Um, Remember the words of Jesus in Luke 17.10. When you do all the things which you are commanded, Say we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. And also, we have to remember that uh, recognition comes from God, whether we are, are recognized and elevated to, to a place of prominence or whether we serve in the shadows and nobody ever knows our name. It is, it is God that grants recognition. He puts down one and he exalts another. Psalm 75, 6. That is his domain. And he does it according to his will and for his purposes, and we can rest in that. Another manifestation of pride is um, the pride of an independent spirit. This is a temptation for all of us, but um, particularly so for young people, um, especially young men. Uh, I know because I once was a young man. Uh, don't laugh. Uh, this, and this can show itself in, in two areas, um, a resistance to authority and an unteachable spirit. This manifestation of pride and, and any of the others boiled down to an unwillingness to submit to our ultimate authority, which is the written word of God. So to put this to death in our lives, we must believe what the Bible says about this sin and how we are to act in faith and obedience. So um, here's some texts you can go to. Hebrews thirteen seven, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Every Tuesday morning uh, at 6 o'clock, the men of Timberlake meet in this room for grace and granite, and we get to hear from, from our elders, from our spiritual leaders. Um, if you're struggling in this area of pride, I encourage you to come out and join us. It's a great opportunity to put yourself under the authority of Scripture and under the authority of the shepherds that Christ has placed over his church. Job 12.12 is another uh, text you can go to. Wisdom is with aged men. With long life is understanding. We live in a culture that glorifies youth, but God says generally wisdom is with the older. If you're struggling with this this sin, don't let pride keep you from seeking out a more mature believer to disciple you. It would be a great first step in demonstrating a teachable spirit to approach a more mature believer and ask them to disciple you. That's a humbling act. And that brings us to chapter 12, which is the sin of selfishness. Selfishness is putting my own needs, desires, and concerns before those of others for the purpose of my own pleasure or gain. And this is the, the default setting of every person from birth. If you don't believe that, you know, volunteer in the two-year-old nursery. Um, you will see selfishness on display. As we grow uh, from the two-year-old stage, we, we learn to mask our selfishness because we learn that it's socially frowned upon. Nobody likes to be around a selfish person. So we mind our manners while our hearts can still be full of selfishness. And this selfishness gets exposed um, in relationships. The more intimate the relationship, the more likely my selfishness will be exposed. And that is a good thing. That's That's a grace of God because this is a subtle sin that is often overlooked in the lives of believers. If you have a friend that loves you enough to tell you when you are being selfish, that that is a grace from God. You can then seek forgiveness and repent uh, of the sin. The most uh, intimate of human relationships, that of a husband and a wife in marriage, is the context where a lot of selfishness gets exposed. Marriage is a great tool for sanctification that the Lord uses in the lives of believers. We can be on our best behavior in in public life, uh, but at home, the mask usually comes off, and it can be ugly. But again, this is a great opportunity to do the hard work of putting selfishness to death. And as you're you're working on dying to self in your marriage, God may bless you with a little heathen to raise. Um, Another uh, sanctifying influence in your fight against selfishness. So this is an ongoing battle that will last the rest of our lives. But be encouraged in the gospel. Jesus was never selfish, and we have his righteous record before God. Jesus died for our sins of selfishness, and this should humble us in our fight. God gave us the Holy Spirit, so we no longer live for self. He has broken the power of selfishness in our lives. And real quickly, we're going to look at four areas that selfishness expresses itself in. First of all, selfishness with our interests. I'm going to read Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. So it is appropriate to be looking out for your own interests. Uh, That is important to be faithful in your work in providing for your family. Those are legitimate interests that you need to be um, responsible to to fulfill. But uh, don't stop there. Don't just stop thinking um, at the point where um, my needs are are being met, but think of the needs of others. How would you know if uh, this is an area you're struggling with? Are you the uh, me monster in every conversation? Um, You have to outdo everyone else and have all the attention focused on you. Maybe you have trouble concentrating on what others are saying because you're thinking about what you're going to say next. Could be a good indicator that you're preoccupied with your own interests, not those of others. Also, selfishness can manifest itself regarding our time. Do you guard your time for your own ends? Um, do you talk a lot about me time? Needing me time instead of serving others? Maybe serving your husband, serving your wife, serving your children, serving at church? Are you always too busy to uh, make time for others? It ought not to be so. Galatians 6 2 says, Bear one another's burdens, thereby fulfill the law of Christ. If you're going to be involved in others' lives and get to know their burdens, first of all, and then be able to step in and help um, with spiritual counsel um, or practical help, um, physically uh, inserting yourself to do tasks that other people can't do for themselves, that's going to require time. It's going to require you to die to self and um, put yourself out there to, to serve others with your time. Another area is selfishness with our money. Are you indifferent to the material needs of those around you, particularly in the church? 1 John 3.17 says, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Again, we uh, talked about the uh, sin of ungodliness. We called it the, the soil out of which grows all kinds of other sins. For hoarding our money, if we consider that to be our own possession, we're forgetting God. We're forgetting that every dollar that we have, no matter how it came into our possession, is a gift from God. But often we, we segment our financial life into another category. And we, we forget God, and so that not, that should not be, be so in the lives of believers. Another area selfishness uh, raises its ugly head is in a lack of consideration for others. Do you have a lack of regard for how your actions impact other people? This could show up in, in many ways. Are you habitually late? Inconveniencing others and costing them their time? Do you leave messes for your roommate to clean up? Or maybe your spouse to clean up? <laughs> Everybody is always having to go behind you to, to um, clean up for your messes. How about your speech? Do you make cutting or rude comments that hurt other people needlessly? These are all uh, indicators that um, you may be selfish in your lack of consideration for others. Well, where do we go? We've identified selfishness. Um, We're convicted about this in our life. Where where do we go? We look to Christ as the example of unselfishness. 2 Corinthians 8-9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. We can um, be humble. Uh, Through the power of the Spirit, we can emulate the humility uh, shown by Christ, who gave up um, immeasurably more than we will ever give up to, to come to earth, to give his life as a ransom for us. Um, Bridges uh, makes this comment. Living unselfishly will cost. It will cost time and money. It will be. Co- it will cost becoming interested in the interests, concerns, and needs of others, and it will cost in learning to be considerate of the emotions and feelings of others. So that's a, um, a brief overview of of pride and selfishness. Again, one of the challenges in a series like this is just we we just have time to just kind of skim across the surface. We could do. A multi-week series on either one of these sins, um, but I trust that uh, even this um, brief overview of these sins has have given us um, uh, insight into where we may be sinning in these ways, um, sinning in in subtle ways that um, maybe we're not even aware of. But as the the Word of God brings these things to to light in our lives, we need to be about the battle of of putting the sins of pride and selfishness to death. Um, One help to you in this regard can be your family or maybe your close friends or roommates. You can ask them for help. Ask them what they see in your life. Areas where they are observing pride and selfishness. That would be a, a good way to put on humility as you begin to put these sins to death in your life um, i'm going to close in in prayer and uh, let's ask the lord's help in this regard Father, I thank you for this time uh, to teach Lord and uh, as I said last week, um, just thank you for your word, how it puts its finger on, on areas where we need to, to repent. Lord, maybe there's uh, somebody uh, we need to go and seek forgiveness from, um, people that we have uh, exhibited selfish attitudes towards, um, people that we have used for our own pleasure or profit. Um, Lord, areas where we are Prideful. Um, Lord, we uh, pray that you would help us to, to humble ourselves um, looking to Christ as our example who um, humbled himself in coming to earth, Lord, taking on human flesh uh, living amongst us um, setting aside the glories of heaven to serve us, Lord, not to, to be served. And I pray that we would be about that work ourselves, Um, not seeking our own advancement, Lord, but um, just being willing to pour ourselves out in the church, in our jobs, in our relationships, uh, setting aside our time or what we falsely label our time, Lord. We've been all allotted um, a certain amount of time on this earth. Help us to be good stewards of that using our time for uh, your work and, and seeking to bring you glory through, throughout all of our days. Lord, we pray as we go throughout the rest of the day that we would um, be meditating on these things, meditating on Romans 7, uh, meditating on uh, what we've heard here this morning. Lord, we pray that we would be faithful doers of your word and not hearers only.